You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, before we get into our Bible study section of the experience today, I want to invite you to put your hand out if you're comfortable to do so in a place of openness. And what this means is, for those of you that are new to church, is that we put our hands out to receive from the Lord uh, anything good that he would want to speak to us or do in us today. So let's go to the Lord now. Uh, Jesus, we come before you. We ask you by your spirit to speak to our hearts. Really, God, we're not messing around. We're not playing church. If you would do something in our hearts and reveal yourself to us today, we will respond in faith and do what you say. Thank you for what you're going to do in us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Well, one day, God was looking around the earth, and he saw one man who was selfless and a holy man. And so he decided to grant that man a wish. And he came to the man, and he said, my son, I want to grant you one wish. And the guy said, okay, Lord, let me think about it for a minute. And as he thought about it, he said, okay, Lord, what I'd like you to do for me is to build a highway that goes from Los Angeles to Hawaii so that any time I would want to drive to Hawaii, I can do so. And the Lord said, well, my son, uh, I wish you would ask for something else because that's kind of a selfish request. And the reason that I gave you this wish is because you've been so selfless. And so the man thought for just a minute and he said, okay, Lord, I've got it. Lord, I ask that you would make it to where all men actually understand women and know how to please them and never misunderstand what they think. And the Lord very quickly said, how many lanes do you want on that highway anyway? <laughs> so some of the ladies are like, that's not funny, Pastor Doug. You want me to balance it out, ladies? Okay. Uh, how does a man screw in a light bulb, ladies? He puts the light bulb up into the socket and waits on the Lord to revolve around him, okay? Uh, isn't that the way it is sometimes, ladies? And the reason I told you that is because there are some sermons or some talks that I give, we give here, that are about our felt needs, about your needs, like how to get through depression or how to get through a hard time. Some talks are like a warm blanket where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and tired and heavy laden, I'll give you rest and all that. This is not one of those sermons. There are other sermons that are not so much about what we want or what we need, but that some sermons are more like the opening lines of Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life book where he says, it's not about you. And if you really wanna follow Jesus, sometimes you have to come to the truth, come to terms with the truth of all of life is not about you, it's not about me, and we have to look out at what God wants to do with others. Now, uh, as I was thinking about the passage we're gonna study today, I remembered a crisp fall morning on a Saturday when my wife says to me, Doug, I need to go outside and get my hands in the dirt. You know what she means by that? She wants to go out and garden. She wants to work in the yard, that type of thing. I'm sure we have some gardeners here. If you ask someone to tell you about your, their garden, you'll get an earful, won't you? You'll be sitting there longer than perhaps what you want to. And why is it that people find such relaxation in gardening or putting their hands in the dirt. Well, certainly there's a scientific explanation for it. Christopher Lowry is a professor at University of uh, Colorado in Boulder. He works in the physiology and neuroscience department. And he wrote an article recently that suggested that dirt is like the new Prozac. 
in the study, he examined a soil bacterium that may be helpful in preventing and treating depression and even post-traumatic stress. So we know that it's good for us to get outside and get in the dirt from time to time. But I believe there's also another reason is that we have God's DNA within us. Even if you don't even believe in God, I believe you have God's DNA in you. And God is a God who puts his hands in the dirt. And we're gonna see a couple of different stories today from the red letter sections of the Bible where Jesus puts his hands in the dirt. In case you're coming for the first time today, we've been in a long series called Read the Red. If you're new to Bible reading, the red letter sections of the Bible are the the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And we've encouraged you to go through an 84-day reading plan. And during this time, we've said that change happens daily, not in a what? Day. And so we've seen that uh, sometimes we have to change daily. It's not always just this immediate change. And sometimes Jesus says, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Now, the story uh, that we're going to explore today is John chapter 9, where Jesus heals a blind man. I want you to start the story with me in verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? That's a good question, isn't it? Uh, Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And then here's the part that gets a little weird. Then he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the man's eyes, and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. This miracle happens after Jesus reaches down into the mud, into the dirt, into the dust. Now, couple of observations about this particular text. First of all, people's problems are seldom as simple as what we think. Remember the disciples? They're asking, Jesus, was this man born blind because of his sin or because maybe his parents sinned? And Jesus said, it's neither of the above. It's neither of the conventional ways of thinking. It's an altogether different reason. And then uh, why is it that Jesus spit on the ground? Because that sounds kind of gross to me. But according to Bible commentator Alfred Edersheim, saliva was commonly thought of as a healing agent for eyes. It wasn't considered to be something that would magically make, you know, blind eyes see, but it was kind of like an ancient saline solution. And so what you have here is one spitting in the dirt, and this is not the first time that we see God playing in the dirt. I want you to go back to the early parts of the Bible, the creation story, one of the first stories in the Bible in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, look at this. Then the Lord God formed man from the what? Dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. And so what we see in the early parts of creation is that God reaches down into dirt and he holds it in his hands, breathes life into it and becomes a human being. So it's not hard for God in and through Jesus to breathe life into 
mud and heal just a couple of eyes. He can create a whole person just from the dust of the ground. So what happened next was that this guy was sent to what's called the Pool of Siloam. Now, the Pool of Siloam still exists today. In recent years, it was dug up in archaeology. And the reason I tell you that is because I want you to understand that what we're studying and reading about here in the red letter sections is actual history, archaeology, reality. It is not just fairy tales or myths or little stories, but it's real. I've seen the Pool of Siloam, and the way you get to it is you go through what's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's underground. I brought a picture today of my wife, Jeannie. She's about to go into the tunnel, okay? And we get into the tunnel, and you're underground for hundreds of yards, and once you get to a certain point in Hezekiah's Tunnel, you get in it in like East Jerusalem, and then there's this river under underground inside this tunnel. So one part, you're walking in water up to your thighs. So this underground river, and it ends at the Pool of Siloam. Now understand that the ancients considered running water, they called it living water. Remember that, because we're going to see living water here in just a minute. Now, the, the, the little river, underground river, comes out at the Pool of Siloam. In the next picture, you're gonna see our tour group there where the river comes out. Now, this portion is dry, um, but this was uh, recently excavated and where the woman standing on the stairs would have had water in it. It would have been a much bigger pool in Jesus' day uh, and it would have been filled up with water. And you know what the Jewish people did there? They would baptize converts to Judaism in living water. So it's like, after the man's physical eyes and spiritual eyes can see, he goes to be water baptized in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now, after the miracle happened, these overly religious guys wanted to interrogate this man and his parents because they did not want to accept that this was a legit miracle that came from God. Uh, so they kept interrogating him and finding a reason not to believe. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever met someone like that? They just didn't want to believe, even though there was a miracle right in front of their face. And uh, they even accused Jesus of being a sinner. And look at what the man says in John 9, 25. Look, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. And look, there's a room full of us. Some of us, it's like we would say we were spiritually blind, but now we see, it's like you, some, some of you have gone to the Bible and you've read it and it makes sense for the first time in your life because the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God, they're like foolishness to him. But for some of you, when, when God came into your life, it's like now you can finally see. Um, but some people don't want to see. I really like uh, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner and he tells about this ancient rabbinic legend of two guys crossing the Red Sea. Reuben and Simon were their names. And according to the rabbis, Reuben and Simon were walking through, you know, the story of the Exodus, you know, where the sea parted and the Jewish people were escaping from Egypt. And these two guys were walking through in the crowd, but they were looking down the whole time when they would walk through and all they could see was the mud on their feet. And they griped and complained about the mud on their feet. But if they would have just looked up, they would have seen the miracle that was right in front of their faces. People tend sometimes to only want to see what they want to see. And for us, sometimes when we're getting in the mud and the dirt, we have to look up to see 
the handiwork and miracle of God. And there was a miracle to be seen this day because Jesus reached down into the dirt. And if you choose to join Jesus in the dirt, you're going to need to know four dirty little secrets, okay? If you would choose to engage and make it not about you, remember Rick Warren's words, it's not about you. If it's about you, your life stays sterile. And sterile people are boring. I'm just here to tell you. But if you'll choose to get involved and actually get your hands a little bit dirty, you're gonna need to know these four dirty little secrets. Number one, uh, when you get your hands in the dirt, it's awkward. You gotta be okay with Awkward. God, like I said before, God has a lot of jacked up kids and this tribe is where we all found each other, okay? I've talked to hundreds of you one-on-one and some of you are pretty awkward, okay? I know you're saying, Pastor Doug, it takes one to know one, uh, but some of your problems are pretty complex as some of mine have been at different times. But uh, here's what happens if you get your hands in the dirt is you'll have to take late night phone calls sometimes. You'll have to deal with awkward situations like the one we're gonna study uh, with Jesus just a chapter away from the, the guy who got healed of blindness. See, these religious guys, they brought a woman to Jesus who was caught in adultery. That is an awkward situation, okay? And this is a weird story to me because these guys bring, and they throw this woman down in front of Jesus and want justice for her, but they are the ones, in my view, that should be tried because what would we call that in our society today if some dude is looking in the window at two, couple, you know, two people having sex? Okay, that's like a peeping Tom, okay? Uh, this is not right. This is weird to me. And where's the guy? If he caught him having adultery, you know, committing adultery, then it takes two to tango, doesn't it? But these guys obviously didn't care about justice. They're just trying to trick Jesus, aren't they? So they throw this woman down, and she's kind of the pawn. And they say, what, would she, what should we do with her? And look what he does. John chapter eight, verse six. He stooped down and wrote in the what? The dust of the ground. He wrote in the dust with his finger and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said this famous line, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Here we see Jesus again going to the ground and playing in the dirt. Now, the question over the years has been, what's he writing down there? And the conventional answer is that he's probably writing the names of people who you know, were in the crowd that had committed adultery. And these guys, probably the oldest then to the youngest, dropped their rocks and walked away. And I think that answer is probably right. But remember, the audience of Jesus would have known the lines of the Old Testament of the Bible, like you and I can quote lines from that TV show, The Office, right? So they would have known the lines from Jeremiah chapter 17, where God talks about writing in the dust. Look at Jeremiah 17, 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be what? Written in the dust. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring, here we see it again, the spring of living water. And so it's like Jesus is writing these names and these men are thinking to themselves, you know, he's writing my name here and the arid winds will blow and erase my name. 
And it's like Jesus is saying, you have forsaken the Lord and now you are gonna be erased from the earth. And you know, this story is interesting to me because Jesus gives grace to the woman, but he does something that's not very politically correct next. We're a very accepting culture, aren't we? But Jesus says to this woman, now go and sin no more. And I think in a lot of people in our culture, we say, hey, it's okay to sin. But Jesus isn't okay with sin. He says, go and sin no more. And it's like he's saying, you know, my daughter, I love you too much to just tell you what you want to hear about what you're doing. It's not good for you to hook up with these men that won't make a commitment to you and really don't care about you. So go, don't do that stuff anymore, my precious daughter, see? And there's another text in uh, Jeremiah that I believe is alluded to here as well um, because some of us know what it feels like to be the woman caught in adultery. Anybody besides me know that feeling where you've done something wrong and the ramifications and consequences of your own sin have landed on you and have crushed you? We'll look back at Jeremiah chapter 18 and we'll see God getting dirty again. Verse two, he says, go down to the potter's shop and I'll speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it, crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. And have you ever felt like that your own actions have caused consequences in your life to like crush you flat like a lump of clay. And what God does, he loves you so much, he reaches down like a potter and he starts over and he starts shaping again. And look, when you and I choose to get involved and partner with God in helping people rebuild their lives, we have to put our hands in the clay and get them dirty to help them, don't we? Now look at number two. When you get your hands in the dirt, you don't get to control the results. And this was the hard one for me because when I first got into the ministry, I would get aggravated by this. I would think it was my fault when someone didn't change and I'd tried to work with them, right? I had invested in them, I spent time with them, I taught them, I loved them, I cared for them, I gave resources to them and all this kind of stuff. Um, and still some people wouldn't change. And here's the one that made me matter is that when I'd help someone and they'd change, they wouldn't even give me the credit for it. Man, they should tell me how nice I am and how good of a dude I am, okay? But pe some people just never do that. And I, I learned from 1 Corinthians that it doesn't really work that way because if you read 1 Corinthians, you'd see that Paul was the one that watered or, or planted the seeds in the dirt. Then Apollos was the one that watered, but who caused the growth? It was God, isn't it? And that gives me peace now because now I can share Christ with people and it's not up to me to change them. If you're a spiritual investigator here today, I want you to know Christ and I'm gonna share it with you. I'm gonna have the conversation with you about Jesus, but really it's up to your choice and God's work for you to change. And isn't that a good place for us to be, those of us that are Christ followers that wanna see our friends helped by God, that it's not up to us, but it's in God's capable hands. But um, look at number three here. When you get your hands dirty, don't get buried. Okay, you see a couple of stories in the gospels where Jesus is in the dirt, but he doesn't stay there, does he? 
And if you don't take a break and do some self-care from time to time, you're going to get buried over by the problems of other people. In fact, Jesus actually had to get away from the crowds in order to rest. You'll see several passages. One in particular is Luke 5, where he goes away to the mountains in order to pray and recharge himself. And sometimes Jesus would even walk out on the water. And my theory is Jesus had to walk out on the water to get a moment alone because people couldn't follow him out there uh, into the water. But even Jesus rests. But look at number four. Exposure to the dirt makes you more attractive. Men, let me ask you this question. And I want to see a raise of hands. How many of you men have ever seen your lady rub that mud stuff on her face at night? Go ahead and raise your hand. Just sell her out right in front of God and everybody. Okay, here we go. A bunch of us, right? Some of you are like, I'm not that brave, Pastor Doug. She's right here. Her elbows are sharp. I'm not jacking around with her today, okay? Um, well, you know, when you're exposed to the mud, sometimes it makes you more spiritually attractive, you know? Um, my wife puts that stuff on her face all the time. That's why people tell me, Pastor Doug, you outkicked your coverage there, man. Your wife's way prettier than you are because she rubs that face, on, uh, that stuff on her face all the time. Uh, she is very pretty. But um, some people believe that David wrote many of the Psalms at a very muddy place, the Dead Sea. Are we familiar with the Dead Sea? Uh, the Dead Sea is way below sea level. It's there in Israel. And I brought a picture today of Jeannie and I doing mud facials at the Dead Sea. And I got to tell you, you know, after rubbing that stuff on my face and rinsing it off, it, my skin was smooth and it felt delightful. I loved it, really. But the mineral content in the waters of, uh, of the Dead Sea and the mud there is so rich that people go there from all over the world to get that mud. In fact, you can even go to the mall here and you'll see people in the middle of the mall that are selling things, selling Dead Sea mud. I don't know if it's legit from the Dead Sea or, or, or what, but um, people sell it and people go there from all over the world to uh, sit and soak in those waters and to rub that mud on them. In fact, when I was there one time, I met this guy named Wolfgang, which I think is a really cool name, uh, and he was from Vienna. And Wolfgang would go four times to the Dead Sea, four times per year, and it would keep his psoriasis from acting up. So his skin would stay healed up if he would go and soak in the Dead Sea. But King David became a spiritually attractive guy, and he spent a lot of time around the Dead Sea, in the mud and the mire there. We're, I think, attracted to David because we can read his story and see he wasn't perfect, and we can relate to that because we know we're not perfect, right? Um, but look at this text from Psalm 40, verse 1. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. And he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many, look at this, he was so attractive. Many will see what he has done like in me and be amazed. And they will put their trust in the Lord. That's an attractive person who uses the mud of their past in order to minister in their future, see? So if you have struggles that you're embarrassed about, God can take those and use them in the future to heal other people. Now, there's this guy I really like who gets his hands dirty, and he's a popular author of that book, Love Does. His name's Bob Goff. And Bob Goff is an interesting guy to me. He's an attorney, 
and he makes his money by suing these people that build crooked skyscrapers that aren't straight up and down. So he calls his law firm uh, fundraising for the stuff that Jesus wants to do because he makes a ton of money and he will go around the world and serve and love on people. So Bob Goff, because he loves to get his hands dirty, decided to go over to northern Uganda and start court there again. Some of you know that the wars there in northern Uganda kept them from even having trials uh, there in that country. So Bob went up there, started having court again, and he particularly wanted justice for marginalized children there in northern Uganda. What he found out about was how these witch doctors, and this is the part that's weird, these witch doctors there, they would abduct children, cut off their private parts, sell those private parts to contractors who were superstitious who would put those private parts in the foundation of buildings, believing it would bring good luck into the building. Kind of crazy, right? So Bob meets this kid in Uganda named Charlie. And Charlie, when he was eight years old, he had been abducted by this particularly notorious witch doctor named George Cobby. And Charlie had gone through this black magic ceremony where they chopped off his private parts and he was supposed to die, but somehow he lived through it. And Bob was furious about this. And he's like, we got to take this, this case to court and set precedent. Well, the people in that area didn't want to take witch doctors to court because they're afraid of them and they think it's like bad juju or something and they're afraid that the witch doctors will get violent on them. And George Cobby was not a guy you want to mess with. But Bob Goff takes him to court and he wins the case and sends George Cobby to prison for the rest of his life. So whatever happened with the little kid, Charlie? Well, through a series of miraculous circumstances, Bob Goff comes back to the States and he meets this surgeon who is head of surgery at Cedar sinai And Randy explains to Bob Goff, he says, I am the world's leading authority at forming and attaching men, men's private parts. I don't know how to talk about this in church. I'm just struggling with this, okay? Just understand that. So this guy is the world-renowned, the best at doing this. And so Bob goes back to Uganda. He gets Charlie. He becomes Charlie's legal guardian and brings him back to the States. Randy does the procedure on Charlie. And now today, Charlie has all the parts he needs to live a normal life. How awesome is that, right? So Bob goes back to Uganda because he's not done getting his hands dirty. And he goes into a very scary prison where George Cobby is serving his life sentence. And he goes in to visit Cobby. It's a scary guy. And Cobby takes a knee in front of him. And he feels bad about all the bad stuff that he had done. And in those moments, Bob Goff said he felt like he was talking to one of the thieves that was dying next to Jesus, the one that Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Bob helped George Cobby unpack all the ways that witchcraft had crept into his life and destroyed his life. And that day in that prison, Bob Goff explained how Cobby, even George Cobby, could have forgiveness in Jesus Christ by trusting in what Christ had done for him on the cross. And he took Cobby by the hand and prayed with him to begin a relationship with Jesus that day. 
and Kabi will never be the same. And a little boy named Charlie will never be the same because one dude was willing to put his hands in some dirt. And here's why I bring that up. Two reasons. Some of you are being challenged today by God to say, it's not gonna be about me anymore, but I'm gonna get involved. And I've been holding back and I've had my sterile life and I go to work during the week and it's good and I come home and I watch my Netflix queue and I go to dinner and I have this nice, clean, sterile life. I just don't get involved, see? I don't want drama, I don't get involved. But for someone here today, you're going to get involved. You're going to get your hands in some dirt of someone's story. And God is going to do miracles when you look up. But someone else heard that story today because God by his spirit drew you here. And you think you're too bad to have a relationship with God. And God says, your sin is not more powerful than my cross. And what you have to understand is that the people that believe that their good deeds of getting dirty earn them a love relationship with God, that those good deeds are nothing more than dirt or filthy rags to Jesus. But he says, if you'll receive me and my death on the cross for you, then your sins can be white as snow, pure as wool. So with that in mind, let's bow for prayer before God. And as we bow before him, perhaps someone here was drawn here today to begin a love relationship with God. And I want you to talk to him right now and just say something like this in your own heart and mind. Say, God, I know there's dirt in my life. I've sinned. But right now in these moments, I choose the best I know how to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. God, I welcome you into my life. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps there are others of us that are making a commitment here today. And you don't wanna make that commitment because your life is so clean and sterile right now. But by God's spirit, you're able to pray in your own heart and mind between you and God, God, when the next thing happens, I'm gonna know when the next person that you bring into my life has a dirty situation, I'm gonna get my hands in the dirt and I'm gonna help and it's gonna be awkward and it's gonna be weird and I'm not gonna have all the answers and I'm not gonna know why a certain person has a certain problem or a certain issue, but I'm gonna put my hands in the dirt and love them the best I know how, and then I'm gonna look up and see the miracle that you do by your power. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.